0: It's going to be a great, great day. As we continue the series called Blueprint, we are looking at the Lord's Prayer. And if you're like me, you probably grew up reciting this prayer before ball games, before special events, and and to the point that it just became a thing. You didn't even think about what you were saying. But this series, uh, for me personally, has been just lighting my prayer life on fire. How many of you already, this series has impacted the way you are praying? Just raise your hand if it's already doing that. Awesome. And we hope that many of you online and joining us at all of our campuses are feeling the same thing. Because the reason the series is called Blueprint is that that's exactly what Jesus meant for this prayer to be. Jesus told us to pray like this. He didn't say pray this prayer. He said pray like this. So this is the way in which Jesus wanted us to pray. And we learned a few weeks ago that it's pretty amazing that we get taught how to pray from the most qualified person of all time to teach us how to pray. Because Jesus knows what it's like to be God being prayed to, and he knows what it's like to be man praying to God, and that makes my mind want to explode when I think about that. Yet that's who is teaching us how to pray, and Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray. Notice that Jesus taught us that we should pray. He did not say, if you pray, or if you can make time, or if you can work it into your schedule. No, Jesus said, When you pray, there is an assumption on the part of Jesus that we would pray that this would be a crucial, central part of our life. And what we're doing is we're looking at the Lord's Prayer and we're kind of breaking it down. We started with our Father, right? Our Father who is in heaven. And we learned that God is very imminent. He's near to us because of Jesus. But we also remember that He is in heaven. He is over all. Last week we looked at... Hallowed be your name. And we learned that that was not actually a statement. It was a request. Jesus was saying, God, I want you to make your name great through me and in my life. And I hope that that totally changed the way you look at that phrase as you pray. Yes, everyone's looking at this bug flying around. It's okay, though. He's flying around the room, and he's our friend. God made him too, all right? So it's all going to be good. And, And if it comes near me, I'm asking for protection, all right? Someone protect me. So here we go. We're going to take a look at the next part of this amazing prayer today, and we're going to begin to see what did Jesus mean by this. Matthew 6.10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One more time, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this opens up the idea of the kingdom of God. It is interesting how little people understand about this concept, the kingdom of God. Yet, this is something that Jesus taught on uh, amazingly a lot, okay? I mean, I'm talking all the time, Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. So first of all, we need to understand what does this mean? First of all, it's not my kingdom, it's your kingdom. And understand this, you can write it in the margins. This, this prayer reminds us that we have to make a decision every day as to which kingdom we're going to pursue. Are you going to pursue your own kingdom? Or are you going to pursue the kingdom of God? Who's in charge of your life? This prayer reminds you in the beginning. It resets your life to the truth that if you are a believer, you have a king. And it's his kingdom, and it's his way, and it's his will. And you are always going to be pitting your kingdom against his, the kingdom of the world against his. And the question is, which one will you choose? Your kingdom come. What is the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about so much? That John the Baptist said, get ready, the kingdom of God is coming. What is this concept? And and I want you to understand it because I think that many of us think the kingdom of God is heaven. That we automatically go, it's in heaven. But but that is a limited view of what it is. And, And I want you to write this down. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, this is what he meant. He meant the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of his people. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said the kingdom... Is near. The kingdom is coming. That He's bringing the kingdom. And in this prayer, Jesus is saying, we should ask God to have more of this. The rule and reign of Him in in our hearts and in our lives. This is why we can advance the kingdom. That we have a part in the kingdom of God. In fact, the way this world sees what life in the kingdom looks like is through our lives and God's reign in the hearts of his people. Look at Matthew 4.17. This was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says this, from that time, Jesus began to preach. And what did he say? What was the heart of his message? Well, it tells you this. Like If you were going to sum up Jesus' preaching, he would say, repent for the what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we understand that heaven is a place. Heaven is a place, but just to get into a little bit of eschatology here and like end time stuff, we also understand by the scriptures that heaven will be on this earth at some point. Like this earth is going to be renovated and this earth is going to be what God always intended it to be. And that will be the kingdom. So one day his kingdom will be established in a very real and tangible sense. But in the meantime, we live in between two realities. We live in between the inauguration of the kingdom when Jesus came and when he will return and establish his kingdom. How many of you are looking forward to that day? When Jesus establishes his kingdom, right? But what happens in the in-between? And how do people know what the kingdom looks like in the in-between? And how can the kingdom of heaven advance in the in-between? And here it is. In the hearts and in the lives of the people of God. This is a... Huge concept. It was the center. Write it down. The kingdom of God was central to the message of Jesus. It was central. Jesus said, I'm coming to bring the kingdom. I'm going to show you the kingdom. You are to, when you pray, ask for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what this phrase is all about. Jesus said other things about the kingdom. In John 3 5, Jesus said this Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this gets into the idea of the kingdom and the citizenship of the kingdom. How do you get to be a part of this kingdom? Like Before we start talking about how we can advance the kingdom in our lives, we're going to get there, but how do you get to be a part of the kingdom? How do you get to say you're a citizen of the kingdom? Well, Jesus says it clear here. You You must be born again. When he says born of water and born of the Spirit, when he says born of water, what he's talking about is when you were born the first time. How many of you remember the day you were born? Me either. But they tell me I was born 42 years ago, okay, because I just turned 42, like, last month. So 42 years ago, and the way I know, every year, and I'm reminded of my birthday, I was born the day Elvis Presley died, August the 16th, 1977, okay? And I've spent my whole life being told that I look a little bit like him, and so I'm always like, okay, you know, uh, this is weird, okay? Both Mississippi people, all of that stuff, all right? So thank you, thank you very much, okay? So my mom talks about the fact that after she had me, like the first thing everyone was telling her, Elvis Presley died, okay? So I know that I was born of water, of of physical, tangible matter. I'm a real human. But I was born again. There was a day when I was 12 years old in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, at a kid's camp where a guy preached the gospel and God changed my life. And then I was born of the what? The spirit. Somebody said water. No, we already covered that, All right? We're born of the water and the Spirit. I was born in the Spirit. That's my second birth. How many of you have had that Spirit birth? How many of you have been born again, right? And by the way, if you've never been born twice, that's what Jesus was teaching here. He goes on a long rant. Like the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16, and he said that while he was teaching on being born again. You can know Christ. You can be a part of the kingdom of God, but there's only one way. In fact, I would say this. You don't act your way into the kingdom. You must believe your way into the kingdom. You must be born again into the kingdom. Because a lot of people may act like they're part of the kingdom, right? I have a friend, if you can believe this, I have a good friend who decided one time that he was going to get like into the game. He's, he's an Auburn fan. And what he did is he made himself a fake like ESPN badge. He did this. This is a true story. And he like made the badge. And do you know that he acted like he was on the ESPN team? And they let him buy all kinds of security stuff, right? And like he's in the, it was crazy. He gets down on the field. And then finally, some because he was acting like he was in, but there was a few things about the protocol of the ESPN guys that he didn't know. Like he got as close as he could, and then he made a couple of very crucial mistakes, and they realized, dude, you're not really on the team. Like you're acting like you're in the team, but we just figured it out, you're not on the team. They were cool about it, they just put him in prison for three months. No, I'm just kidding. They were like, get out of here, and, and, and he had a little bit of fun with it. But at the end of the day, he could act only so far, he was not on that team. And here's the deal. Lots of people will attend church, and they'll act like they're part of the kingdom, but you must be, Jesus said, born into this kingdom. And how does that happen? By trusting in Jesus as your Savior. That's how your dead, your dead spirit comes to life. And you're in the kingdom of God. And there's only one way. So write it down. Salvation, according to Jesus, opens our eyes to the kingdom. Jesus said you can't enter the kingdom of God. You, don't even, you can't even understand it. You can't even get the culture of the kingdom unless you've been saved. Unless your spirit has come to life. You won't be hungry for the food of the kingdom. You won't want the type of culture that the kingdom is if you don't come to Christ. And if you're not born again. But when you become a believer, you will find that suddenly you will have an appetite for the menu of the kingdom. Like you never knew you wanted that until then. And it's because something in you has come to life. You begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is is the currency of the kingdom, man. You you begin to want things you didn't want before. Why? Because you were born again. This is huge. Jesus taught on the kingdom all the way to the end of his life time on earth. Before Pontius Pilate, at his trial, Jesus spoke of the kingdom. Look at this little interchange in John 18. It says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, the reason, listen, Pilate was always dealing with uprisings with the Jews, so Jesus made him nervous, okay, because he, he's like, are you really a king? They're saying, you're saying you're the king of the Jews. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate said, am I a Jew? Can you see that Pilate's kind of a smarty pants here with Jesus, right? Like this is a very human interchange. He says, your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus said, my kingdom, here's some teaching on his kingdom. My kingdom is what? It is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. So here's what Jesus taught us about his kingdom right before he died. Jesus taught that his kingdom is unique. Write it down. Like there's nothing like the kingdom of God. It's not of this world. So if you try to fit the kingdom into your parameters of what a kingdom would look like, And and as modern Americans, we don't know a lot about that, so we have to like watch Robin Hood movies to see what kingdoms used to look like and castles and kings and monarchs and all of that. So, So it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around it. But Jesus is letting us know that that will not be enough. Like Even if you look at earthly kingdoms, it won't be enough to tell you how truly wonderful and amazing the kingdom of God is. So Jesus is telling us again, yes, it is a place, but it's also... This concept, this way of life that is going to be exhibited in the hearts and in the lives of people in which Jesus reigns as king. This is what this looks like. So we understand this, that we, write it down, are made citizens of the kingdom of God through Jesus. That's how you become a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. So let me just remind everyone in the room today as you begin to pray this prayer, you have to be reminded every day when you pray, So, why did Jesus want this to be a part of the prayer? Why did Jesus want you to pray this way? Because you need to remember that you have dual citizenship no matter where you live in this world. Most of us in this room are Americans. You have citizenship. You're a citizen of Alabama. Maybe you're a citizen of Fairhope. Uh, Maybe you're a citizen, uh, of course, of the United States. But you, Jesus wants you to understand. He wanted the Jews to understand, He wanted the Romans to understand. That no matter what their earthly citizenship looked like, they needed to always remember that they were ultimately and most importantly a citizen of the kingdom of God. And watch this. And the rules of God's kingdom overlay, over the top, they supersede any other rules. Does that make sense? So it's not that you're not to be a good citizen of your world and your country and your nation. But whenever the rules of your nation go against the rules of the kingdom of God, you have to make a choice. And the choice must always be the kingdom of God. Is that beginning to make sense, church? So Jesus wanted this framework to be in your mind at all times. Every day when you pray, Jesus said, you need to remember that you're not just a kingdom of this, you're, you're not just a part of this world's kingdom. You're a part of the kingdom of God. And therefore we must act accordingly. So what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom? Well, it means that His will begins to be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says this, Our citizenship is in heaven. Again, a place and a way of life here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a king. He's come once, he's coming again. And he will establish his kingdom ultimately on this earth. But in the in-between, we are to live out and pray that God would show the kingdom through our lives. So what does it mean for his will to be done? Because that's the next step. Jesus says, we can't just say your kingdom come. The, the the, The next step, what that means for the kingdom to come is that his will will be done. And, and what you need to understand is He says, on earth as it is in heaven, guess where the will of God is always done exactly the way He wants it to be done in His kingdom. And His kingdom is both a place and in the hearts and lives of His people. So Jesus says, this must be a part of our prayer. Now when we look at the will of God, what do we mean by that? This is important that we understand because there, there's a couple of different ideas and we're going to look at we're going to kind of make it binary. We're going to look at two different ideas that we see in Scripture about the will of God. And the first idea we see in Scripture is the idea of the sovereign. Write it down. The sovereign will of God. Now You need to understand that the sovereign will of God is always accomplished. Now, These are some big kind of mega themes, we'll call them in the Scriptures. These are ideas, and this is just a reality. God's sovereign will is always accomplished. Look at Psalm 115 and 3. It says this, our God is in the heavens. He's in the actual place of heaven. And look what it says. It says, he does all that he pleases. Like, who's going to stop him? Right? God does what he wants to do. Now, here's what we should be grateful for. Again, these these themes flow into each other. But God is perfect, so he never does anything wrong. And he never does anything that, that isn't good and perfect. So you can depend on that, right? Because I think, especially here in America, we're really afraid of ultimate authority. Like we always question any type of ultimate authority. Authority's bad. Authority's, you know, we don't trust it and all this kind of stuff. And that flows into every single facet of our society. But when it comes to God, you can trust him. He's a good king and he always does what's right. And you need to understand his sovereign will when the Bible speaks of it, and it speaks of it throughout the Scripture, just like it just did here, it's always accomplished. But then there's this idea, we'll call it His revealed will. Write that down. So You have the revealed will of God. But one, one way you could say this, the revealed will would be His commands. God says, do some things, don't do other things. Now let me ask you, are His commands always followed? Are His commands always followed? No. How many of you have broken some of God's commands? Some of you broke his commands on your way to church today. Swatting your kids in the back. Couldn't even see where you were swatting. You were angry, right? Or maybe you got up this morning, you were anxious. Jesus told you not to ever worry. How many of you have worried in the past week? How many of you watching Dorian in the Atlantic heading towards the Gulf got you a little on edge? I bet there's, uh, we probably all have friends in Virginia, North Carolina, we need to be praying for them. I bet they're worried today. So Jesus' command to not worry has not been totally followed. So His revealed will is not always done. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, for, I'll give you an example. This is just one slice. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now we know that that doesn't always happen in our culture, in our society. Okay, so how does this work? Okay, well, what what is Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus, in his prayer, is talking about his revealed will. You're praying for God in your life to empower you, as you know his will, to actually do his will. Like, that's how people see the kingdom. The people see the kingdom of God when God's people live out his will and do what he wants them to do. And we're going to continue to kind of dive in that, And the place where that always happens, write it down, both the revealed will of God and the sovereign will of God is always obeyed in heaven. That's why He says, on earth as it is in heaven. Now notice the, the disparity of language there. Jesus is making an observation in this prayer. He's saying we all know that His revealed will is not always done on earth. But it is always done where? Jesus says the job of believers... Is to do on earth as it is done in heaven. Like our homes should look like the kingdom. The way we treat each other has to look like the kingdom. That's why the church is so important. The church is not just a place to get everyone together. This is nice. It's fun. Great to see you guys. But it's way more important than that. This is why when people say, "Why do I have to come to a church?" I can, hey, I can just watch TV. I I, I go to church on TV every Sunday. No, we understand there's something different about that. Like if all it was about was great music and great preaching, you can get all of that on your phone. You do know that, right? All the best preachers in the world. You can go listen to it. You listen to the best music in the world. Christian music. Okay, So what gives? Why is this important? Because this is the tangible kingdom of God in action. There's things that you just can't replace about what happens of being a part of the living and tangible example of the kingdom of God on earth. And that is is the church. This is awesome what happens here. And so the Bible is teaching us here that Jesus says when you pray, you need to pray understanding you're a, you're a dual citizen, you're a part of the kingdom of God, and your life on this earth has to look like it would if you were living that life in heaven. And if you were living this life in heaven, you would always do the will of God. Now is that beginning to make sense? No pressure. So Jesus is is helping you understand on earth your life's going to be out of line with the kingdom and the culture of the kingdom and the way the kingdom is. But our job as we even pray is to realign our lives with the kingdom. Now how does this interplay work between the sovereign will of God and the revealed will of God? One of my favorite, I'm just going to rip off, it's not ripping him off because I'm going to tell you who he is. So Randy Alcorn is one of my favorite theologians. He's a great theologian. If you want to read a great book on this idea, it's called Hand in Hand. By Randy Alcorn. And Randy Alcorn gives an example, like an illustration that I, that have you ever had an illustration just massage your brain? Something you had a hard time making work and then suddenly you went, oh my goodness, there it is. Light bulb went off. So I'm going to give you his illustration, Randy Alcorn. He said this He yeah, the will of God, these two types of will, is like being on a cruise ship. Well, we all get that because we have a cruise ship that, parks here in Mobile Bay. I heard it's kind of, it was kind of dirty recently, but I hear they cleaned it up. And Anyway, so you can get on there, and let's say you're going to Jamaica. So let's say that the plan, the itinerary for the boat is to go from Jamaica or from Mobile Bay to Jamaica, and we all got on the boat. So there's probably 500 of us in the room right now. So let's say all 500 of us got in on the boat. Where's the boat going? Jamaica. Now, watch this. That is the sovereign will, if you will, for the boat the boat has a preset direction. There is nothing you and I can do while we're on the boat to change the course of the boat. But what we can do is we can make life on the boat really miserable while we're going to where the boat is already headed. So while we're on the boat, we can treat each other nicely, kindly. We can be good to each other or we can be really, really evil and we can hurt one another and we can talk about each other or be ugly to each other, and we can make life bad. Now, here's the deal. Your choices you make on that boat do have an impact. It's going to impact one another. You will miss out. You can actually miss out on the wonderful experience of being on that boat that's headed to Jamaica. You can choose that, and it will impact you and the people around you. You can impact your if your family's on the boat with you. You can be in a bad mood the whole time, and it's terrible for everyone. You follow me here? But one thing you will not change is you will not change that that boat whether you're happy or sad, mean or kind, you will not change that that boat's going to go from Mobile Bay to Jamaica. You begin to understand how this works? So, all of us in, these, in our lives, you're not changing the sovereign will of God. Don't worry about the church. The church will be fine. Why? Because God said that the church will never, ever be destroyed. The church will always be alive. But now we here at Three Circle could mess this one up. Are we going to change God's sovereign will for His church? No but we would have an enormous negative impact on one another and our community if we didn't do this right. Is that beginning to make sense? When I heard this illustration, I went, wow, that really helps me understand God's sovereign will, where everything's headed, the big mega themes, and God's revealed, commanded will, which we all know that we choose every day to follow or not. And when I begin to understand that concept, again, it was kind of like a brain massage. I began to understand what... Jesus meant when he said these things. So, look at, uh, this is very important. The will of God is always obeyed in heaven, but understand this. The Lord's Prayer teaches us these two things. We are to assume God's sovereign will, but we are to seek his revealed will. That's how that works. We are to respect and assume God's sovereign will is going to be done. But we are to seek, that's why this prayer is the way it is, we're to seek God in my life though. While I'm on the cruise ship called the sovereign will of an almighty God, I want to get my part right. I want to experience all that you have. I want to grow. I want to be a blessing to others while we are on this trip of your sovereign will. So we are to assume and acknowledge his sovereign will while we seek and we live out his revealed will in our lives. Jesus helped us with this in Matthew 6.33. He gave us a way to look at this in our lives. Look what he said. He said, you must seek, what, second? Seek second. Seek somewhere in there the kingdom. No, he says seek what? First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what Jesus is saying in our lives, in our everyday lives, you're going to have to set your course. And this prayer helps you see, set that course. How many of you have a smartphone? You have a smartphone of some sort? Here's the deal. Have you ever plugged in? I've done this before. I have been going to like Daphne from Fairhope, and I plugged in a road, assuming that it was going to catch the right road, and I look down and it's like where I'm headed is four and a half hours away. I was like, oh man, there's another road called that, whatever I was looking for, like in Ohio. So here's the deal. You have to be careful That when you plug a direction into your maps, that you get the right one. That you have to go, I'm wanting this road in Daphne or whatever. And then when, when I set that course though, from then on, I can just do what it tells me to do. Everything else is going to be taken care of if I correctly set the course. Now here's the deal. The reason our lives are so scattered and so all over the map is many of us have never sat down and said, God, before anything else in my life, I am setting the course of my life to your kingdom. First, my money, your kingdom. My marriage, your kingdom. My sexuality, your kingdom. My career, your kingdom. My wants and my dreams and my destiny, your kingdom. You follow me, church? So the first thing out of the gate is to go, God, I want my life to... Be showing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And once I get that first thing on my life, Jesus says everything else will be added. Like everything else, the next turn, the right turn, the left turn, where you're headed, destination, all that stuff that we worry about and fret over, Jesus says it will all take care of itself if you set the course of your life first to the kingdom of God. That in my life, I always have to ask, does this represent the kingdom? In other words, when I'm as a, as a husband the way I treat my wife, I have to ask myself, is this how I would act if I were in heaven? Heaven on earth. So when I want to get angry in traffic because they didn't build a bridge across the bay, uh, I have to ask myself, now the way I'm acting right now, is this how I would act in the, the kingdom of heaven? Is this how I would act if I were in heaven? What I do with my body? What I do with my relationships? How I handle my money? I have to go. Now, does this represent the kingdom of God? Jesus says, when you pray, you must pray like this so write it down this prayer is one of absolute surrender to the lordship of christ because here's what's true in heaven in heaven jesus is king and everything jesus wants done is done in heaven and this prayer says god i want that on earth i want that in my home i want that in my church and in my community so this prayer is saying lord i surrender to your kingdom and your will instead of my kingdom and my will and it's the first thing we must set in our lives Jesus not only told us that we must prioritize the kingdom, it's the first thing that we set our course to, we also must value it. Look at Matthew 13, 44. Jesus went on a little rant one time where he talked about the kingdom, and my favorite is this one. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like... Oh, you've got me, Jesus. If you're about to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like, I want to hear what you have to say. He says, it's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Now, what, that might not mean a lot to you. Let me help you in Jewish law on how this works. If you were out in a field and you found a treasure and you uncovered it, guess who that treasure belongs to? Is it finder's keeper? Oh, no. By law, it belongs to the owner of the property. Even though you found it, you have no part in it. And in fact, by law, you have to go and tell the owner, I found treasure on your property. So what does this guy do? Jesus says, if you ever see the kingdom of heaven for what it is, like what your marriage could be if you lived it this way, what your kids and life with your children could look like if you lived out the kingdom, what our communities would look like if they looked like the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says if you ever get a glimpse of how amazing the kingdom of heaven is, here's what it'd be like. It'd be like a man walking through a field and he goes, Oh my goodness, look at this treasure. And instead of going and telling everyone, he goes, This is so awesome. I will sell everything I have to buy this property, not so I can have the property, so I can have what? This treasure. So the guy covers it up so no one else can find it. He said, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And he runs as fast as he can, and he sells everything he has. Everything he has so that he can just have that treasure. Jesus says, if you ever see what the kingdom of heaven is like and what it looks like if you'll live it out, you will dedicate your whole life to it. You will fight for it. You, you will, you'll do anything you can to see and live out the kingdom. So, again, write it down. Jesus taught us you should value the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Value His kingdom. In other words, what seems like sacrifice, because here's the deal, you will make sacrifices to live out the kingdom of God in your life. If you're a teenager in the room today, it will seem sacrificial for you to live the kingdom rules for how you handle dating and relationships. It will, it will feel sacrificial. Jesus is saying if you could see down the road, you would see that it's actually no sacrifice at all. If you could see the rewards. That's what he's saying. Like it seems so sacrificial to treat people like Jesus would treat them. And you go, that's so hard. But Jesus says if you could just see the end results of living out the kingdom in your life, you would give up everything you have. Because it's worth so much more than any sacrifice you could ever make to live out the kingdom. So how does this work for us? What's our job then? Because Jesus is putting this squarely in our laps that we are to live this kingdom of heaven on earth in our lives. Well, there's three things that has to happen. We must know, model, and share the will of God. That's the job of Christians. That's what we're praying. God, in my life, let your kingdom be seen. And here's the idea. The first thing we have to do is know. And how do we know what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like? How do we know the will of God? We know the will of God because it is revealed, write it down, in the Word of God. We can know the will of God because it's revealed in the Word of God. We have a kingdom and a king and a book. And you can see God's will. He's told you what He wants. His revealed will is in the Word of God. His commands, what He wants for your life. And the person who lives the kingdom out will more and more and more surrender to His will. So the first thing we have to do to show the world is we have to know it. You can't show what you don't know. And then we must show it. And who taught us how to show it better than anyone else? Jesus. Jesus showed us how to live out the will of God in our lives. He showed us. Jesus said, this is what it looks like. And we must begin to live out. There must be consistency. We can't just tell the world about the kingdom of God. We must live out the kingdom in our lives. We must show it. And then finally, we must share. Yes, show it. Yes, live by example, but also share. Our mission is to advance the kingdom by sharing God's will on earth. We tell people, hey, this is God's plan for your life. This is God's plan for marriage. This is God's plan for sexuality in our culture today. This is God's plan for life and money and career that we tell people. This is what He has said. We have the book. So we know it. We show it. And we share it. And when all this happens, as our team comes, we, we, we remember this, Colossians 1.13. This is, this is how we got here, right? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness... And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So when you think about your salvation today, I want you to remember this. You were once a part of the domain of darkness. That's what your life was all about. But because of Jesus, you are now a part of the kingdom of his beloved son. And that kingdom comes with responsibility. We must live out the kingdom in our lives. And the question today is, will we do that? Will we align our lives with the kingdom?